This is The Guardian. A third of students are less than happy about their university choice, new research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centered higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly and that is why it is the greatest league in the world. Well, whether it is or it isn't, that was a brilliant afternoon. The shock at the Etihad when Villa went 1-0 up, the anguish when Coutinho made it 2, the ludicrous comeback in six minutes that simultaneously looked impossible and inevitable, all while Liverpool stuttered but ultimately got past Wolves. At no point were they top of the table yesterday, but it didn't feel like it. Across the league, so many shots of fans staring at mobile phones, the transistor radio of the modern age, cheering about other matches, plenty of news filtering through. Perhaps not everything you want from a final day, but not far off. And at the end, Manchester City, with all their riches, win their fourth title in five years, denying Liverpool any hope of the quadruple. Meanwhile, Jesse Marsh falls to the floor in joyous relief as Rafinha walks across the pitch on his knees as Burnley's six-year stint in the Premier League is over. Spurs seal fourth. Arsenal seem at peace with a creditable fifth. There's the goal of the season controversy, the end of Mike Dean, and who knew Dan Gold played for Watford. We'll discuss Kylian Mbappe upsetting La Liga, Lyon's win over Barcelona in the Women's Champions League, Sunderland's promotion and heartbreak for Ryan Reynolds. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, hello. Hi Max. Uh, Troy Townsend, welcome. Hey Max. And Johnny Liu, hello. Hi Max. Um, I did punt out for questions, as I always do. Dave said, I'd imagine there's enough content to fill an hour without us, mate. I <laughs> think he's probably <laughs> right, isn't he? Uh, Matt says, where did this rate in terms of final day drama? Not quite Aguero or West Bromwich's Great Escape 2005, but still better than most. And Joe says, question for Barry. Football's good, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, <laughs> we had absolutely everything yesterday. It was unbelievably tense and I... Didn't really care who won the league. I didn't really care who got relegated. We had, you know, a crying child uh, at Anfield. We had misinformation at the Etihad. We had a bloke who actually had a transistor radio, uh, who must be the only man left in the world who who, uh, brings a transistor radio to the game. Scenes of jubilation, scenes of devastation. And, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. And more than surpassed my expectations because my expectations weren't that high and I certainly didn't expect uh, Aston Villa to give Manchester City such a good game. Uh, Johnny, you were at the Etihad. I mean, you wrote about the, uh, I'm quoting, 
your piece to you, but uh, the utter despondency that gripped this stadium, the incoherence, the frustration, the rage and anguish of a team and their people staring into the abyss. What was it like? A, a bit like that, really. I mean, it was, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, very much, very much as, as, as recorded. Um, but I, I think it was, it, it was, it was interesting. And, and it was, it was, it was all the adjectives actually. I mean, it was this, this tableau of, um, yeah, people being fearful and angry, and you know, yeah, I've, I've been to the Etihad a few times, and it's been quite, quite flat, really, um, for for understandable reasons. You know, people go there, you know, they pay their money, they go there, they, they turn up, and, and Manchester City win, and they don't really know how to feel about this. I mean, they, they think they do, but it, it, it's hard to kind of summon up any any kind of real dramatic tension from the from the occasion, and 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 here it was suddenly like Manchester City were being were forced to. To being confronted with their own sporting mortality, and it was just it was it was it was wicked. Honestly, just I think City needed Villa to go two 0 up um, because from then it, be, it became this kind of you know Mission Impossible siege mentality kind of thing, and like the, there's um the noise is is as as good as I ever heard it, and you know who who knew who knew that uh, the best club in the world had uh, had a comeback like that in them. Troy, that moment when Coutinho scores, I, I don't know about you, but at 1-0 to Wolves and 1-0 to Villa, I thought, oh, well, they'll both just come back. But at 2-0, I sort of sat up incredibly straight and was like, shit, this is actually, this is going to happen. Like, City are going to not beat Aston Villa. They're going to lose to Aston Villa. This is ludicrous. Do you remember the, the obviously, 10 years ago, the second goal that Queen's Park Rangers scored with 10 men? And not... As the goal went in and it panned to Guardiola, <laughs> I didn't see Guardiola. I saw Mancini and when he was firing his arms about and obviously like expletives were coming out of his mouth and, and he was cursing every single sky blue player on the pitch at the time. It just it just didn't seem right, but it it, it went in, in tune with the way that Man City were playing. I thought Villa let them off the hook a little bit. Watkins... Had a couple of chances, but Coutinho's goal was was amazing. But then Gerard almost took him off immediately and resigned to trying to keep Man City out. And I didn't see what that tactic was about because City was so open at the back. It was only the someone like Coutinho that could pierce them again. And and then all of a sudden the, the game went into overdrive, didn't it? I would love to have been in the stadium. Jonathan had that experience. I would love to have been in the stadium, turning from a real flat stadium with with you know all the anxiety to a stadium that was pumping for for the for the, from the minute they scored the goal and 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 shout out to Pep subs as well the subs were on point everyone was crying for Grealish I'm sure Pep does it on purpose but this time he got it right and um, all three subs contributed to a, a fantastic victory I'm sure the shout out will be that's just the the, the Premier League trophy is good. But the shout out that you've given them, Troy, that's the thing that will mean the absolute most to them, won't it? Um, did you have Barry? Did you have Gundogan down as the hero? I suppose he is with the, the two goals coming off the bench to score them. But it's just a collective effort because, you know, for all the criticism City get for their owners and their wealth and their depth, strength and depth in the squad... Just to be out there, 2-0 down, you're, you're brutally exposed and it's a, an unbelievable test of character and, and they passed that test. And let's not forget, they had to come from 2-0 down against West Ham last week as well to draw. So that's they've they've basically clinched the title by coming from 2-0 down twice. 
wants to draw, wants to win. And I think just the collective effort is is immense. And I, I think Wolves and Villa deserve immense credit for the the immense effort they put in and also Newcastle and Leeds in, in the relegation games. They really didn't have to try that hard. There was no need for them to try that hard, but they really, really, really wanted to win all four of those teams. And um, yeah, it was it was a remarkable afternoon. QPR Stats asks, was City playing out the last four minutes of the game surrounding the corner flag, further evidence of Guardiola as a tactical genius? Um, John says, should a team with the budget of Man City be allowed to hold up the ball <laughs> by the corner flag? I mean, it was. I, I was really pleased they were doing that, Johnny. Yeah, I mean, Guardiola even mentioned it in his press conference afterwards. He was like, you know, look, look at us at the last four minutes, you know, we had to be holding the ball in the corner. I was so proud of them. And, uh, you know, there is this, you know, this idea that this is not how City win. I think I think that's why it was so um, enthralling, I guess, and so engaging uh, to a neutral like me that this is this is generally not how City have have ever have ever done it. This is not how Guardiola teams win. This seven of his previous um, nine titles have been won before the final day, and you, you don't really associate his teams with like big climactic moments or big comebacks so, because they're so rarely they're so rarely put in those situations. Guardiola is so good at removing the fear of failure from his players, r- removing the kind of uh, you know you lost, you made a mistake. When when they do kind of get into one of those. Uh, you know, all or nothing situations. You know, like a big Champions League knockout tie, for example. His teams have often shat themselves, and they did kind of shit themselves for like, you know, seventy minutes. Um, and I think that you know, that's that's why those five minutes. I mean, he he couldn't explain it. I mean, you 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 can't explain through like he had this he had this go at big data. It's like you can show me all the big data um, about you know why we were two 0 down, but then, and then you, you can't explain why why we were, you know three two up in, in in six minutes. I sort of segued from a Pep Guardiola to a to a Jonathan Liu uh, accent there in, in, in the space of a few seconds. That that is the appeal of it. You can't really you can't really explain or legislate with that except through the unique mentality uh, of final day football, and and it's kind of. I think reassuring that for all the, you know, we think that Manchester City have perfected football and Guardiola has sort of refined this this process. There's there's always a part of the game that you can't ever really touch or, or understand. Uh, worth mentioning that that not even Barry has shot himself for 70 minutes. So, you know, that, that is a sign for, for, for that Manchester City did it for that long. I mean, within the game, Barry, that's well, there were some... It's like the, some brilliant moments. Like the, the Matty Cash header was brilliant and the Rodri finish and then in the Liverpool game, you know, Mane was superb. Yeah, and in, I did notice actually, maybe it's a blueprint for teams next season that City seemed really poor under the dirty long ball. I mean, Ollie Watkins probably should have scored at one stage after a dirty long ball from... Robin Olsen, and uh, the second goal came from a, a dirty long ball from Robin Olsen. So, so something maybe for, for teams to think about next season. But yeah, they're just brilliant players playing brilliantly under such high pressure with the stakes so astronomical. Is it rash to say the Premier League is the best league in the world, Max? <laughs> <laughs> Have I missed something here with the dirty long ball? What is that all about? Well, dirty long ball is a sort of, it's a stock phrase, isn't it? From the sort of Wimbledon, you know, just add dirty to to, to long ball football. You know, I mean, I'm, I mean, I grew up watching that football. I, I There's nothing I like more than punt, flick on, goal. Absolutely <laughs> love it. 
because you could sort of imagine Pep being not only furious for conceding a goal, but sort of thinking that goal shouldn't count as much yeah. <laughs> as as a City goal, you know? It was just, I don't know. I, I just just love to talk about these games. You know, I just thought it's just so great when it flicks, Troy, from one game to another game and you're like, you just don't know what you should be watching. There's That kind of entertainment is so good. And, and it's like what Johnny says, if Man City played Villa in October, it wouldn't have been like this, would it? No, but they're human beings and... and- you know, those players, the Man City players at the start of the game, you know, for 45 minutes, although they dominated the ball, they didn't dominate the game and, and Villa grew in confidence. And, you know, what was interesting for Villa is that their fullbacks were pushing Man City back quite a bit and they exposed them down the flanks as with that uh, Matty Cash goal. But again, you've got to give a high five to Pep here because I know Fernandinho is not a uh, sent half, but he quickly changed it, made sure Zinchenko came on. And, and all of a sudden, Matty Cash is having to defend more than what he did in the first half. And then the Sterling moved down the other side to hold Dina back. And 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 that, but those those substitutions and, and, and what he said about Gundogan, about being the best person to arrive in the box at a particular time, you know, he knows his team so well, so well. Listen, you could say, well, Villa still went and scored a second, but from the minute they turned up the, the the heat yesterday, it was it was a it's a great performance from City, absolutely great. And again, the same from Liverpool. You know, they they would have been shell shocked at going one down, but again, and and Wolves had some opportunities as well, didn't they, to maybe extend the lead? But you've got particular types of players who who dig in, who prove their quality, and and show why they're the teams they are. Uh, we got lots of questions about where Man City's money comes from. Steve says, doesn't it feel good to watch sports watching work and have a league and sports channels celebrate it? It warms the heart. It's their fourth out of five titles. Nick Harris at Sporting Intel, our mate, saying, look, Man City win a 14th major trophy of the Sheikh Mansour uh, regime. 61% of their trophies in 7.7% of their history. Six Premier Leagues, two FA Cups, six League Cups. Six trophies since the Premier League launched an investigation in March 2019 and ongoing into alleged financial wrongdoing. I mean, we've had this conversation before, Johnny, but what are we meant to do? Like, put an asterisk, caveat it, just go, this is the football that we're given. It's hard because I just loved the game and I loved it. But, you know, I'm really conscious that very few media outlets will have even this bit of the conversation about it, whether that makes us... We're not doing anything different. It doesn't make us better necessarily, but you have to register that. I guess it's presented in this moral quandary. It's, it's not hard, really. This is not this is not hard unless you're like stupid. That like the, the idea that Manchester City, everyone knows where where the money comes from. I think I think now every, everyone knows who's funding them and and why they're doing it. And it is possible to keep that in your mind. We cover the sports washing. We cover uh, you know the geopolitics. I think there are, you know, there are people out there who would, who would like everything to be everything at that at that club, and everything at that at, you know at a club whose ownership they they you know they don't like for for whatever reason, everything that that club does by extension must necessarily be bad. The the football cannot be good. The manager cannot be be good. There cannot be good people at that club. Everybody at that club must be bad. And so, it, it's just a. I don't know. It's such a simplistic way of seeing the world. You know, you could say Manchester City. We don't. We don't. We don't like where that money comes. You know, where the money's coming from. We don't like how, the way they conduct themselves. That was a great comeback. That was that was such great entertainment. And there were good people 
at that club. There are there are you know fans of that club who are going to be really happy uh, this morning, and and some of them are my friends. Like this is not like a, it's not complicated. It's not like oh my god, what do I feel about this? You know, it, 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 unless you're like totally you know brutalized uh, by social media, um, I think it, you know it's just you know you know how to feel in the in these situations. So um, so yeah, we will get back to the sports washing. I don't know. Maybe I maybe I am maybe I am stupid and brutalized. I, I I'm I'm not totally sure how I'm meant to feel. Like like, let's say I am stupid. <laughs> what, <laughs> what what how should I be feeling now? Just just accepting that it's a conflict and conflict exists morally in all parts of the world society. Yeah, but if that's the case, Max, would we be watching our sport? Because we highlight Man City and we highlight the likes of PSG and obviously Newcastle now, but. We're so invested in this thing, um, and it's not our. Res- I say it's not our responsibility. It's definitely not my responsibility to, to kind of um, not just call those teams out, but investigate those teams and find them. You know, either doing the things right or, or doing things wrong. And there'll be a number of teams that have not been highlighted that seem to get their money from a particular place that probably are not as big as Man City and PSG, and and who who just continually get away with it. So. You know, you have to leave that part of it in the hands of the people that do the investigation and then wonder why the investigation takes so long. We can question it as much as we want, but ultimately we're invested in the product on the field of play. And the product on the field of play is continuing to excite us. And I'm not, what I'm saying here is I'm not saying that those, morally those other things are not correct and they shouldn't be dealt with in the right way, but it it is what it is. So you're watching 90 minutes of football yesterday because you enjoy it. And you like the frills and you like the fact that, you know, Villa did what they did yesterday and Man City had to graft to turn the result round. That, in isolation, should be applauded. Uh, we have to mention uh, the Man City fans that attacked Villa goalkeeper Robin Olsen uh, during the pitch invasion. Uh, Manchester City issued this statement. Um, we'd like to sincerely apologise to Aston Villa goalkeeper Robin Olsen, who was assaulted after the final whistle. At today's match, the club's launched an immediate investigation once identified the individual responsible will be issued with an indefinite stadium ban. It, it really is unacceptable. And I just don't understand the mindset of someone. What what goes through your head that my team has just won the championship in these unbelievable circumstances? I know I'll punch the opposition goalkeeper You know, in this moment of jubilation. It, I, I, I don't understand it. Barry, you mentioned you don't know what to do, but I actually think it shouldn't be hard to to understand what to do. You know, we have, particularly in the Premier League and obviously the Championship, the most sophisticated bits of um, identification tools that there ever could be. Cameras can home in quite, you know, succinctly and find people. Uh, Not just one person, again, who struck Patrick Ferreira for him to kick out and obviously the Billy Sharp incident. We've got to do things as quickly as what happened with the Billy Sharp incident and that Obviously, individual is now spending time at Her Majesty's pleasure. Fella that 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 you know taunted uh, Patrick Vieira for Vieira to kick out. Vieira gets an instant uh, FA investigation. While I don't know, we're still trying to find this lad who filmed himself and it's been put on social. It's assault. It's as simple as that. It's assault. And and it, people are saying it's growing in the game. It's been existing in our game this season but maybe not as high profile so it doesn't get the platform that that many believe 
you know, any incident like this deserve. So let's start finding these people as quick as possible and let's give in, give, start giving them severest possible punishment as you would if they were out on the street. But the thing is, Troy, the people who hit Robin Olsen yesterday are almost certainly aware that the guy who headbutted Billy Sharp got sent to prison last week and must know, well, if I hit Robin Olsen, I'm probably going to get sent to prison as well. But they still did it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I understand that. And I just think the mentality at the moment is that there's a no fear mentality amongst members of our society who feel that they've taken things into their own hands because they spent two years being you know, locked up and not being able to get out and, and probably do that on a, on a more consistent basis. I don't understand it. I don't I, I don't get it. And I don't understand why people will do that. And you're right, actually, you know, the, the guy that struck Billy Sharp or the headbutt on Billy Sharp. He's got his consequences, but obviously there was still no fear for the, those that ran on the pitch yesterday. Finish the title chat on this from Joey, saying, not a question, but um, a Liverpool fan, as a Liverpool fan, saying that sometimes you have to applaud a team doing all they can, but just falling short. It's easier to take when you drop points against goals like that one from Ethan Pinnock. Just knowing what you're watching, <laughs> you're watching one of football's remarkable moments, uh, and we'll get on to goal of the season in a little bit so that'll do for part one part two we'll begin with uh, a Bernie's relegation Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees promo rate for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com finding your perfect home was hard but thanks to burrow furnishing it has never been easier Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Simon says, my mate Jamie's organising an attempt to break the world record for the largest Connect Four tournament ever. He's doing this in East London in June. How about a deal? You get a load of pod fans to his world record attempt and we'll get a load of tickets to the Hackney Empire. Absolutely, we're in for that. Just let us know where and when. Buy all your tickets and we'll definitely be there. Um, uh, Hackney Empire, by the way, is the 8th of July. Me, Barry... Troy, Jonathan Wilson, Nicky Bandini, looking forward to it, Troy? I am indeed. I'm not sure what I'm letting myself in for, but I am definitely looking forward to it. Uh, on Saturday the 9th, the day after, Ellis, James, Barney, Ronnie and Sid Lowe joined me and Barry at the Hackney Empire. Um, 13th of June, Wilson, John Bruin and me and Barry in Leeds. 15th of June, me, Barry, Jordan, Jarrett, Brian, John Bruin. 19th of June, me, Barry, Lars and Philippe. Two nights in Dublin are sold out, I'm afraid. Me, Barry, Lars and Mark Langdon doing both of those. And the 13th of July, me, Barry, Philippe and Jonathan Wilson in Glasgow. Uh, go to myticket.co.uk, search Guardian Football Weekly and come and watch us, please. Okay, then. Burnley are down. Leeds stay up. Leeds won 2-1 at Brentford. 
Burnley lost at home to Newcastle. So Leeds stay up. I mean, so many moments from that Leeds game. James Brown, the journalist who we chatted to on the radio, said, I've had so many texts and messages from people I haven't heard from in ages. It's like the week before Glasgow when I used to be able to get tickets, he said. Uh, Andre <laughs> says, what's better, a pitch invasion by crowds or a crowd invasion by Rafinha? Um, yeah, so many moments in that Leeds game at the end that were just brilliant pictures, weren't they? Yeah, um, the, the Rafinha, uh, Rafinha going into the stand and embracing the woman I presume was his wife or girlfriend. You know, I think it was Ian Wright commented that she had even better abs than him and his are pretty special. <laughs> but uh, I have to say, I, I, I didn't really care who went down yesterday, but I'm, I'm kind of pleased. While, while Burnley have my sympathies, I'm kind of pleased Leeds stayed up just for the entertainment they've brought us the last two seasons. Um, Burnley are in quite the pickle now because they've gone from being very financially stable, well-run club to now being in a load of debt and in the championship. This was almost as, as dramatic, if not more dramatic, as the race for the title between Liverpool and City yesterday. And Burnley have no one to blame but themselves. They They had to beat Newcastle at home to stay up and they couldn't do it. Yeah, you're right. They had to beat Newcastle at home. So from a corner, what does Nathan Collins do? He tries to, you know, think that no one is going to see what he's done with his hand to punch the ball away <laughs> or to tap the ball away from... I can't remember whose Newcastle head it was, but when you think of the most ridiculous thing to do as you're there to, you know, you're trying to survive and you're up against a really good opposition anyway, that probably was it, wasn't it, from Nathan Collins? Uh, you could see, like... It was just one of those instinctive things. Like you sort of do it in five a side, don't you? Just go, oh. And then you just go, oh, I didn't mean that. You could see his head in his hands. I, I, you know, it is, Johnny, you know, you need little things to go for you at this stage, like the opposition going down to nine men rather than one of your own players punching the ball in the box. Yeah, I mean, and Burnley, have, they fought so well. I think we were pretty much condemning them to relegation uh, maybe two, two, three months ago. And, and so... The fact that they've they've taken it this far is is um is a credit to them. I think they you know they've just kind of you know they just ran out of they ran out of gas and it's it's still quite a small squad. It's it's lacked investment for quite a long time. Uh, you know the owners ALK Capital they they they've loaded the club with with debt from the takeover and, and haven't really and haven't really invested in the squad. I think I mean that that was one of the main bones of contention with Sean Dyche. And I, I think you know yeah they. They, they fell short on the final day, uh, but they've brought something, I think, important and and vivid and like quite fun, I think, to the Premier League. So uh, I think, yeah, I, I salute them for that. It's been quite a ride for them. Just, just on that Burnley financial situation, and I don't know if any of you have a better knowledge of football finances than I do. I hope so. Saw Tarek Panja from the New York Times tweeting, look, it's hard to see how the club avoids a financial disaster because of the debt placed on the previously debt-free club in order for ALK to own it. Even a fire sale won't be enough. What? What is it just because, why Why are they suddenly in trouble? So there's a, there's a clause in one of the loans they, they took out where if, if they get, normally that loan has to be repaid in 2025 or like a big instalment of that loan but if they get relegated it has to be repaid immediately i, th I think it's 65 million 65 million and that's why they're in such a hole right now because this was you know 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. If you're Burnley, you should probably you should you should probably kind of countenance the prospect of getting relegated at some point. I mean, it's just you know, it's just sound business. But uh, yeah, they, they they are in trouble. So so how is that? How possibly, if you're a Burnley fan, you must be sitting there going, how how on earth is that allowed to happen? Is this the same? Is it the same way as Man United leveraged the debt? Right. It's basically they they were taken over in 2020. And it was a leverage buyout the same way that Manchester United were bought by the Glazers, which meant Burnley went from a position of having, I think, 45 million cash in the bank to being in debt. And now they're going to be in more debt because this 65 million has to be paid immediately rather than in installments starting from 2025. So how can it be okay to... Could I just leverage the debt on a, on a football club and buy it? Like, I mean... If you convince a bank, if you convince a bank to finance it, uh, or you know the, the right financial institution to to underwrite it, then yeah, you can. But you you kind of need, I think you need an in somehow. Yeah, I mean, I don't. It doesn't seem like something I plan plan doing on Thursday. The thing is, they've got assets, haven't they? But their assets and and the parachute payment as well is not going to amount to anything near that. So you're struggling to find a way out for the football club. Absolutely struggling. There were not many saleable assets there. Um, Tarkovsky is is is, 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 is out of contract. Still, I think. Is he still in contract. He's out of contract, right? Yeah. Dwight McNeil, um, Cornet, Cornet, absolutely. But you know, again, you're not oh, going to Nick Nick Pope must be. I don't know what his contract situation. But you know what is. clubs are like. Clubs are still going to want them on the on the on the cheap, aren't they? Because they're a relegated club now, so that their financial assets go down in price, not up in price. So I don't see a way out of it for them as a football club. Meanwhile, for Leeds, um, Johnny, are you are you pleased for Jesse Marsh? I'm pleased for Jesse Marsh. I'm 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 pleased for Jesse Marsh. I think you know he's uh, he's he's done. He's done what he had to do, and there was there was this lovely moment. Um, I guess everyone's seen the video of of, um, of him in there. Like people need to stop taking videos of Jesse Marsh in the dressing room. Uh, I, I think I don't think it's doing a lot for his for his brand. You know, he's, he's just a little bit too open. I think you know, it's one of his qualities. But you know, people are anyway. There's this. I mean, there's this moment in the and they, they show. I don't know if they showed it on the highlights, but where it's in the second half and like Leeds have missed some chance or something, and he and he. He's uh, he's all het up on the touchline, and he takes a big swing, takes a like aims a big kick and kicks over a big bucket, like a, one of those big ice buckets. And I felt like it, it was this incredibly powerful symbolic moment. He, it was like he was basically over, to, like finally casting off the ghost of his predecessor by kicking over this bucket. Is <laughs> like could there be any any greater rejoinder to the Bielsa legacy than to, than to than just angrily smash a bucket? Um, yeah, I th- you know, Leeds Leeds turned up when they, when they had to turn up, and and I guess that is half that is half the battle, right? And Marsh does deserve credit for that. It's, it's actually it's interesting you talk about um, him being too honest. There was a moment in the game where it cut to him, and he was just yelling at his team, "They've only got ten men," which is something that quite often happens in Sunday League after five minutes of a game where the opposition haven't all turned up and you're playing thinking I'm probably playing against 11 and one of your teammates points it out and says they've only got 10 you go oh shit we should do all right here and you just thought I'm sh- I can't think of another manager would do it in such a brazen way he'd do it in a way that you didn't see that it was so sort of obvious that he's telling his players that the opposition have only got 10 men oh we should mention um, as you said Barry you know uh, Brentford and Newcastle gave it a good go 
Um, you know, Newcastle's season's buried. Their last 18 matches of the season, they've secured 12 wins and one draw. You have been effusive in your praise for Newcastle, haven't you? Uh, I don't like their owners. I, I'm not going to lie. But Eddie Howe has done a good job in turning a team whose form and morale was absolutely on the floor, turning them around and getting them to a mid-table position from where they were. I do think it's a mid-table squad. It finished mid-table last season and the season before, and they brought in new recruits. In January, uh, Bruno Himerez has been, for my money, one of the signings of the season for the impact he's had on the pitch and for the lift he's given Newcastle fans and as a sort of beacon of hope for the future. Um, so in that regard, you know, Newcastle have some fans who are quite unpleasant on on. Twitter and whatnot, and that's fine. That's not really real life, but I'm glad that the mood has lifted around St. James's Park because Newcastle are, you know, a lot of the Newcastle fans seem to have a persecution club, but I think a persecution complex, but Newcastle are a great football club, and I think it's sad that the these new owners have come in, but that's that's how things go. And we were sort of talking about moral dilemmas earlier, it was announced yesterday that Newcastle co-owner Jamie Rubin will match everything the Newcastle Food Bank's you know contributions and money raised. He said he will continue to match everything next season. And that's a nice gesture. But it's the same Jamie Rubin who's contributed 700 grand to the Tory party. Uh, or And, you know, it's because of the Tory party that food banks are required. So, you know... Uh, yin and yang and whatnot. It's it's that sort of sums up the dilemma. But um, yeah, Eddie Howe has done a good job in in getting them to a mid-table position from the uh, awful mess they were in at Christmas. Um, so he deserves credit for that. Uh, Tottenham are in the Champions League. Damon says, is that the end of the Spursy crap? Surely it's been killed off once and for all. I wouldn't be so sure, Damon. Um, but this Johnny was in- incredibly straightforward and actually Barry mentioned Gimares is a great signing in January January signings don't always work out and, and Bentoncourt and Kulisevsky have, have been brilliant for Tottenham haven't they? Yeah I mean uh, I think Kulisevsky is, is going to be a real player to watch next season he could I mean he's he's been everyone at um, Juventus and everyone back in Sweden you know ra- always rated him uh, and but he, you know he's he's surpassed I think even even you know the the most optimistic expectation. Bentancur is is an unbelievable player. And but the, the interesting thing about um about Spurs as well is under Conte, how many players who we thought were kind of you know washed up on their way out have have, have found their way again. I mean Ryan Sessegnon, Ben Davis, who who had kind of drifted to the fringes, probably you know we thought we thought might leave the club. Uh, Romero's had a had a great second half of the season. Emerson Royal has come back into the side. You know he 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 looks kind of lost under Nuno. He, he looked lost for a lot of the first half of the season, and so you know Conte is one of those managers who has a very distinct first eleven, and often it can be quite hard to to engage the players who aren't in that first 11 every week. Um, but he managed, he's managed to do it so far. And I think that that's one of been, been one of the most impressive points because Tottenham have, have had to call on those fringe players as well over the last few weeks. John says, should there be an MLS-style penalty from the halfway line playoff competition 
to decide the golden boot. Barry suggested yesterday on the radio it should be a pillow fight between Hyung Min Sun and Mo Salah. I don't know why you came up with the pillow fight, but I would love to, love to see it. Um, Sun's goals, his second goal in this game. I mean, Kulisewski's one in the top corner was lovely, but Troy, but Sun's was just effortless and so, you know, he's got Pookie sort of leaning on him. He's falling backwards and just to bend it into that tiny space was so good. Yeah, it was a, I class it as a typical song goal. We, um, and I'm really pleased for him to be totally honest. I know on the last pod I said he's one of, probably one of the happiest footballers that I've ever seen. And then um, Conte took him off in the next game and then he seemed like one of the saddest footballers that I've ever seen. So, um, But I, I'm just really pleased for him and shocked that he's not in the player of the season vote uh, for the Premier League because when you talk about consistency this year, uh, for Spurs, Son has been that go, been the go-to person from the, the first goal of the season against Man City, all the way through to the couple of goals yesterday, and you could see not only the delight on his face, but you could also see what it meant to his teammates as well. Um, on the other hand, when I don't know if you saw Mo Salah collect his awards, <laughs> yeah, it was really good. Um, I mean, that's the saddest individual that's ever had a, a photo taken with two awards next to him. So the assist award at the top goal scorer award, you know, but I, I mean, Son could fit. It's, it's one of those players that could fit into any team. You could see him excelling at any one of those top sides just because of the nature of the way he plays and his, you know, he's, it, the way that he gels with his teammates. Kane and him have, 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 have gelled really well with... Um, Kulovsky and I haven't said that right, have I? We'll just edit in one of we'll edit in one of Johnny's Kulosevskis and it, no one will notice. <laughs> Kulosevskis, yeah, Kulosevsky. And obviously, Spurs need to make a bid for him now because he's only on loan. He has been one of the standout players since he's he's, he's joined the football club, and this is what Conte will demand. You know, he's he's done everything that many thought that he probably wouldn't do with that Tottenham team, and. And as Jonathan has said, he's got players playing now. People have said, look, we need to get rid of them. Add Matt Doherty to that as well. We need to get rid of them as quick as possible. And they all came up trumps and they all understood the way that he, what his demands were. But he's, they're going to have to do that again. They're Champions League now. I'm not sure if a lot of those players that were on the fringes that have made good will actually be part of that Champions League squad because Conte knows what it takes to be in that competition and to drive them forward, you know, to be a competitive team and... Knowing Conte, next season he'll want to compete with Man City and Liverpool. So get into the Champions League this year, but Spurs are going to have to open the purse strings and, and appease the manager. I think there's a there's a clause in, in Kulisevsky's contract where they have an obligation to buy if they if they reach the Champions League for I think 35, 40. So I, th- I think he is definitely he is definitely coming in. And and again, you know, it's just one of those things where you just think he's squeezed every last bit of energy and, and out of this squad and he's done it so well, by the way. And and the demands, I don't think there's been demands on these players like this before. Um, and they've bought into everything that he's demanded of them. And obviously his, his, his mannerisms on the touchline, if you if you don't buy into that, then he will tell you about it. Don't Don't worry about that. But there's another stage for Spurs to go now. Champions League is Champions League and it's a totally different proposition to do that on a Wednesday night and then on a weekend as well. So it'll be interesting to see what summer brings at Spurs. Yeah, Joe says Conte, Kane, Son, are Spurs outside contenders for the title next season, Baz? I don't think so. Not if they're fighting uh, on the Champions League front as well. But no, I I, I just think Liverpool and Manchester City are just way too... They're streets ahead of everyone else. Yeah, you're probably right. Look, Arsenal beat Everton 5-1. Um, it didn't really matter to either side. 
the, the best part was Everton fans celebrating the Man City goals wasn't it? <laughs> in, the, in the stadium. And I really liked Frank Lampard's honesty after the game when he basically said, look, we didn't give a shit today. It was about Thursday for us. And it was a bit annoying, Troy, that Everton didn't do that massive comeback on the final day just to add to the drama of the final day. But rather than we talk about this game, we should probably talk about what that was like at Goodison because we haven't had a pod since that game. Un- unbelievable. Um, the You know, at 2-0 again, it was one of those where you just thought, you know, it's going to go to the last day. You can't see them getting anything at, at the Emirates. And, you know, if, if the clubs, if Burnley or Leeds do anything on the final day, then who knows? There's three of them in it. But the way... <sighs> I'm going to talk about the fans and there'll be many people that say, but those were the same fans that, that you know, also, you know, struck Patrick Vieira and, and threatened a couple of other players. Well, they're individuals and, and, and those individuals absolutely should be held to account for their actions. But since those fans have said this team needs support and if we don't support this team, then we're going to go down. Everything's changed. You know, the entrance into the games has been... Uh, they're like cup finals, you know, they're like European nights, the way that they've, you know, they've stood there and they've created that, letting the players know that they mean everything, the football club means everything to them. And I suppose the the pitch invasion after Dominic Calvert-Lewin's third goal, which obviously a lot of the players were, were, were kind of get off the pitch, you know, not now kind of thing, was just relief. I think it was just born from relief. Um, one, not just for that game, but absolutely what the result meant. I know there were still minutes to go, but that stadium was as noisy as any stadium this season. And it just goes to show how much those fans can drive this team on. Um, Frank has done a great job whilst they've been at home. Um, Obviously, it's not been the same away, although another important victory away at Leicester City has has kind of helped them. And listen, it will be what happens next season now for Frank, how much money he has to spend, if there is money to spend. Who stays? Because there's talk about uh, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, um, as as there would be, um, Alan, um, and how much he can create uh, his team in his style. Um, because he's had to change his style, and I think in the way that he's changed his style, which suited the players that he has in his in you know in his squad. To dirty long ball, Troy is what's, <laughs> what's driven that team on. No, they haven't been dirty long ball, but there is times when you do need to be dirty long ball. And who cares, by the way, as long as it gets results, I suppose. And I, I said a while ago, performances don't matter anymore. They apps, When you get to this business end, it's not really about performances. People just remember that you beat Crystal Palace 3-2 because the second half was amazing. I was having this conversation with Charlie Baker on the radio. You know, Everyone says exactly that. You know, performances don't matter at the business end. Like, do results not matter at the leisure end of the season, which I presume is sort of August to October? You know, we're all just having a nice time going, oh, let's just play some nice football. We'll worry about results later. Um, Producer Joel's friend uh, was at the game and saw, looks like an 85-year-old man, maybe he's 80, I don't know, holding a Frank Lampard cutout, life-size cardboard cutout. The fact that, you know, you still love football so much to be that... I mean, my dad can't be bothered to go to watch Cambridge because it's a bit cold. But this guy is full Frank... What what do I need for today's game? A cardboard cutout of Frank Lampard. Um, uh, Andros, obviously, still getting back from injury, but he was in uh, goal of the season. He didn't win it on match of the day. Did you vote for him, Troy? Of course. <laughs> of course I voted for him. One extra vote means so much, doesn't it? 
Well, it could, it could, yeah, it could change on everything. I, I was a bit disappointed with. Go- I thought there were some good goals that were missed. I can't remember them, and I thought some of the goals weren't brilliant. I think Granite Jacker's is not an Arsenal bias. That was just a good hit from twenty yards. Nathan says, "Where does Barry think the lack of inclusion of Ethan Pinnock on Match of the Day's God of the Season rank on the list of great sporting injustices above Hand of God, but below Sheffield United's two thousand seven <laughs> relegation?" I, I haven't actually seen the match of the day goal of the season uh, contenders. I guessed Ethan Pinnock hadn't made the cut. And I think, to be honest, it devalues the competition. Tom asks, any thoughts from Barry on Ethan Pinnock not even winning Brentford's goal of the season? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Look, I'd say, I'd say Ethan Pinnock's goal in that 3 all game with Liverpool, which was one of the matches of the season, probably wouldn't wasn't the best goal vote wouldn't <laughs> win a vote for best goal in that game. <laughs> it's just I'm I'm just I love the fact that people people do not forget Barry, do they? <laughs> I I maintain it was a good a brilliant goal against elite top class opposition in a very tense game. It's it's a contender. Um, Mo Salah won it uh, on match of the day for the goal against the sort of jinky dribble that he's done before but it was a brilliant goal against Manchester City uh, I think Uh, right let's round off the other games Um, David says has there ever been a more generous headline than Ten Hag watches on as United clinch Europa League spot Uh, (laughs) uh, they lost to Crystal Palace Um, do is, it, is, is this the time, Johnny, to do what does Ten Hag need to do? Or should we should we spend a podcast in July when there's not much to talk about to do that? I think it's uh, I think it's his press conference today, right? He's, he's speaking to the media for the first time today. So probably tomorrow or Wednesday would be the time to do that. Okay, let's do that then. Uh, Chelsea beat Watford 2-1. Um, uh, some Chelsea-based banter. Paul says, is it fitting that Ross Barkley, in many ways the epitome of a 21st century Chelsea signing, should be the man to score Chelsea's final ever goal? David says, how will the panel remember <laughs> Chelsea Football Club? Um, and Pete says, it took me 37 games and 87 minutes to find out that Dan Gosling played for Watford. What's <laughs> what's the longest it's taken any of you to realise a player's at a particular club? To which someone, forgive me, replied, I'd forgotten that Kennedy even existed <laughs> for Chelsea. But anyway, there we are. Uh, lots to do for Chelsea uh, in the summer as well. Um, uh, Leicester beat Southampton 4-1. Um, James Madison is very good. Uh, uh, the best bit was Casper uh, Schmeichel posting a photo of him and Jamie Vardy. Uh, and they gave John Moss a signed Leicester shirt that just said, thank you for retiring, Mossy. Uh, <laughs> so we say well done to him, Martin Atkinson and Mike Dean for being great servants to football. And, uh, well, there we are. Brighton beat West Ham, you know, and actually West Ham, I guess, Barry, could have got in the Europa League and, and maybe they'll regret that. David Moyes was furious afterwards. He was furious, yeah. Yeah, they they didn't play well, and it's a sad way for them to end the se- what was an otherwise very good season. Europa Conference League, they they'll fancy their chances of winning that, and it's a great end to the season for Brighton, who have finished ninth, record points total for them, highest ever finish, and think of how good they could be if they had someone to score more goals. So, very promising future ahead for Brighton as well. 
Barney says, the Everton Cup has always been misnamed, in my opinion. Time to congratulate David Moyes on winning the David Moyes Cup for a record sixth time. Four with Everton, one with West Ham, and United was seventh when he left. So I think that counts too. Maybe you're right, Barney. We will look into it. And that'll do for part two. Uh, part three, uh, we'll mention Kylian Mbappe. Uh, we'll mention the Women's uh, Champions League final. And we'll mention Sunderland getting promoted to the championship. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold and our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. A third of students are less than happy about their university choice, new research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centered higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, look, we're going to do a Europod tomorrow where we will spend a lot of time talking about Kylian Mbappe and we'll talk about that Mario Balotelli goal. I mean, I could spend an hour talking about that Balotelli goal. It's utterly ridiculous brilliance. Uh, High says, if when PSG flop in the Champions League next season, will Mbappe have the authority to sack himself and join Real Madrid on a free? Uh, he signed a three-year deal with PSG. Uh, the numbers reported, uh, his signing on fee at PSG, less than Real Madrid were going to give him, still €100 million. Euros. Salary will be £50 million a year. Uh, so the deal is around £250 million. Uh, he'll retain all of his image rights at PSG. That was a key sticking point in his negotiations with Real Madrid. Uh, La Liga reacted angrily, calling the deal scandalous, announced plans to file a complaint to UEFA, as well as French and EU authorities. This type of agreement threatens the economic sustainability of European football. Read a Liga statement. Um, it puts hundreds of thousands of jobs and sporting integrity at risk in the medium term, not only from European competitions, but also from our domestic leagues. Does, um, does La Liga have a point, Johnny? They do. I mean, th these are quite valid points. It looks pissy, right? It looks like they're, they're throwing the toys out of the pram, and they are a bit. It looks hypocritical because... Just a few months ago, Real Madrid and Barcelona were trying to threaten the sporting integrity and the structure of the Euro European leagues, uh, and and it is that as well. And and it does, you know, it does look a bit premature as well because I think the statement came out before the deal had even been announced, and presumably, you know, the the, the Spanish league can't La Liga can't, can't possibly know all the you know the, the details of of the deal, right? That they they might know the headline figures, but. Uh, they can't possibly know it, you know, intricately how that deal is structured, and that's also true. But their point is is true. It is kind of it is kind of grotesque that you know 
PSG can fork out this amount of money. I mean, I, I don't know how, how people morally feel about like a footballer earning a million pounds a week if, if the market decides that, that that's what an entertainer should, should be, be earning. You know, that's fair enough. It, it's more like the way this money has been brandished and just, just thinking about what, you know, what that money might do elsewhere in football for people who really need it. And, you know, I, I think that that's a kind of another conflict of, uh, you know, a moral conflict, I think, which which some people might find quite hard to resolve because we do enjoy watching Kylian Mbappe. It's it's possible to watch Kylian Mbappe and enjoy him and also enjoy watching PSG and also enjoy watching PSG losing, uh, but also feeling, you know, slightly, I don't know, distasteful, I guess. You know, feeling slight distaste at, uh, at the amount of money and where it's coming from. Hmm. I don't. I don't pretend to understand Troy FFP, what it ever meant, what it still means, if it still exists, how suddenly if you do this, then surely you just can't buy anything for the rest of time. What does that mean? Mbappe has to play for PSG until he's 92. I mean, he'll still be quite quick. Or will he turn into like a slow target? Like like old players, he'll go back to centre mid and then centre back and then just be coach for a bit. They say, we can't buy anyone else. Um, it will, I guess, make it all the sweeter when they get knocked out of the Champions League in the quarterfinals uh, next season, uh, as we expect them to do. Um, uh, let's talk about the Women's Champions League. Uh, Johnny, you wanted to, 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 to mention this. It's a brilliant win for Leon against Barcelona. I spoke to Susie Rack yesterday, who said, actually, it wasn't as much of a surprise as, as I thought it was. In my mind, you know, Barcelona was streets and away the best women's team in, in, in world football. But, but, you know, Leon are up there with them. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not coming at this from from any position of like I told you so because I, I genuinely thought that I thought it'd be a close game, and I thought, but I thought if anybody was going to run away, you know, streak ahead with it, it would be Barcelona. So this kind of this stunning like half hour where where Leon just ripped Barcelona to shreds, I I really didn't didn't see that coming, and I think it's one of the one of the virtues of of um of the women's game at the moment that because. There is, teams are in so much flux. Teams are improving and and changing at such a, a a fast rate that I think you know they hadn't played each other for for three years, and it's it's just like totally like stepping into the unknown. Nobody really knew how that game was going to go, and yeah, Leon did what I think a lot of teams have tried to do to Barcelona, particularly Wolfsburg in the in the like in the second leg of the of the semi final, who kind of got stuck into them, but were already five one down from the first leg. They just they pressed them and they were. Really physical. I mean, Leon were they? They got stuck into them, and they they challenged for every ball. They closed down their space. They tried to almost, you know, knock them off their game. You know, the, the, there was lots of tactical fouling. Barcelona just haven't been taken to that place. You know, I don't know how many how many games it is they won in a row this season, fifty odd, forty odd, and they so rarely have to go to that. Uh, have to play that sort of game, and and the last fifty minutes of the game when they realise, hang on. Christ, we're in a we're in a game here. Um, we actually have to scrap for this. That was a lot more even. So, um, so yeah, that's that's my that's my potted analysis. Um, absolutely worth uh, checking out the opening goal if you haven't already. It's an absolutely brilliant strike. Um, seeing them given, oh, seeing them given says question for Barry. Uh, Sunderland are going up, aren't they, Barry? Um, it is a <laughs> it's a huge moment. Um, fortunately, Guardian Football Weekly has an articulate, passionate Sunderland fan who can tell us all about it. Barry, have a listen to Jonathan Wilson's voice note that he uh, <laughs> uh, sent over the weekend. Well, winning's, winning's odd, to be honest. Not really used to it. Don't really know what to do when, when it happens. So you end up just sort of standing around after the final whistle, 
you know, watching what's happening on the pitch. Um, and you know, it's, it is nice. And there is, you know, obviously when you've got 46,000 there, there's a great sense of community. As a, as a you know, there, there is, uh, with all the stuff in Trafalgar Square the night before, there is a sort of sense of pride of, you know, you might have forgotten about us, but we are we are still here. And, and, and that's obviously, I think, in the case of Sutherland, something that reaches far beyond football, that I think there is a, a sense that, that, that um, these events we've had at, at Trafalgar Square uh, over the last uh, two or three years have been about reminding people that we exist. But fundamentally, you're sort of waiting for somebody to make the decision. I, I, maybe maybe now is the time to go to the pub. And I, actually, the game, I suspect, it wasn't that tense. I mean, obviously, in the moment, you, you're pretty anxious. But I sort of looking back at it, I think Sunderland were pretty comfortable. Got the got the goal after what, 11, 12 minutes through Elliot Embleton, your local lad, born in concerts, came up through the academy, and yeah, caught it really nicely. Stockdale probably should have done better in goal. Yeah, we had been totally dominant to to that point, and then Wickham came back into it a bit, but they never really had any clear chances in that first half. A lot, lot of crosses went across the box, and then second half they they did have that one chance when uh, Bailey Wright misjudged the bounce, and and Sam Vokes had the had the had the opportunity one on one with Patterson. But Patterson has been great since he came in for Hoffman, and he's another another academy product. He ended up sort of, you know he spread himself really well, got out quickly, and ended up sort of sitting on the ball. And and so I was right at the other end of the ground, so there was like you know, a horrible, I don't know, a tenth of a second, fifth of a second, where I had no idea where the ball was, I couldn't see it, and then thankfully realised if it was going in, I'd have seen the net going, it hadn't, and then you realised Patterson sat on it. And then we, you know, we should have we should have wrapped it up early, we had a couple of other good chances, so it's the Stuart header, uh, the Pritchard cross with the Stuart header that went just wide. And and yeah, Pritchard was was really good in the day. His his link up with, with Embleton and, and particularly with Patrick Roberts on Saturday was really good. We kept on opening them up with that. And it, it was that uh, Robert Pritchard link-up, which, which created the chance for, for Stuart, which he took really well. He used the defender as a shield and sort of dragged it back, wrong foot in the keeper. Uh, and then that last 10 minutes were actually... I, I was a bit annoyed how sloppy we were in possession that last 10 minutes, but it was pretty pretty comfortable. So there was a sort of sense after all the all the tension, all the, all the near misses... Yeah, I'd, I'd, that was the eighth time I'd seen us take the lead at Wembley. I've only seen us win once, which is in the Pat Johns final. Uh, but this was also the first time that we'd had the the, the west end of a stadium since 1973. Uh, obviously, the, the one time we had once in 73 was when there was no fans there in the Pat Johns. So, I don't know, that that sort of, it shouldn't matter, but it, it was a sense of, oh, well, you know, that bad omen's gone. It's the first time that we'd won our home kit in a playoff final uh, and we'd lost all the others. Uh, so again, you know, it it it, it wasn't as nerve wracking a day as it might have been, and then you know the worry now is that you look at this squad and you think oh, I don't actually know how good this squad is. I also have a sense that the football they play might be better suited to the Championship than League One, and certainly I think Alex Neil we've we've got a proper manager at last. Uh, you know, somebody who has has gotten very well organised. You know, very happy to change shape, very happy to change personnel. Knows what he's doing. Sixteen games unbeaten to finish the season. So, so hopefully that gives us a bit of momentum. But equally, I think everybody's aware that there is there is these days a pretty big gap between League One and, and the Championship, and and there is a lot of work to be done. Jonathan Wilson sounding as Mackham as he ha- as he probably ever has actually. Uh, uh, wonderful to hear. Uh, uh, look, Barry, you did the minute by minute for the Guardian. You got a bit nervy, didn't you? I did. Just it was a fairly straightforward win, but Sunderland were one nil up, and for 15, 20 minutes of the second half, they were a bit on the ropes. Uh, but Wickham just were lacking that cutting edge. Uh, it was a decent effort for them, but they just weren't good enough on the day. And 
I thought Gareth Ainsworth and and uh, Adebayo Akinfenwe, whose last football match it was at the age of 40, were very generous in their praises for Sunderland after the game. Um, I'm just relieved Sunderland are out of League One and uh, best of luck to Wickham next season. Tip of the hat to Bayo. Uh, Akin Fenwa, uh, what a brilliant, what a brilliant part of football he has been, and it will be fascinating to see where he goes next. Uh, he is a, he is a big man with a big heart, that is for sure. Um, Chris says, assume you'll start the pod with the mighty Bromley's one 0 win against Wrexham in the FA Trophy final at Wembley, over fifty six thousand for a non league final. Uh, quite something, he says. Um, uh, the Guardian's media correspondent, Jim Waterson, saying, you'd have to be a very bad person to laugh at Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively and Will Ferrell flying in to watch Wrexham at Wembley, struggle to understand the offside rule and then lose the fairy tale ending to the documentary they're making because they lost to Bromley. Um, <laughs> anyway, look, football's a brutal game. You get involved with it. In the National League North and South, um, uh, uh, York won promotion. That's nice to see York City doing well again, uh, beating Boston. Uh, the South playoff was far more interesting. Uh, any chance, says Rob, you can mention the National League South. Ebbsfleet scored in the second minute of injury time. A fan threw a flare on the pitch while celebrating. Dorking got a seventh minute injury time equaliser because the ref played extra and Dorking won in extra time. Oh, so that is a brutal end to a game. Isn't it? Neil says, forget this last day stuff, Max. More importantly, did your good friend Ellis James discuss taking your old job at Sky? Or like Barry, when a so-called friend and his buddies deserted him a few years ago, was it a complete surprise? It's worth mentioning here that the fantasy football that Ellis uh, is remaking is the good fantasy football. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, me and Merce had a lot of fun, uh, but it was a very different show. Uh, I'm equally delighted for Ellis James and ravaged with professional jealousy I would suggest for what hopefully will be an absolutely brilliant programme him and Matt Lucas uh, bringing fantasy football back big pressure on their shoulders though Baz wouldn't you say yeah big boots to fill and they they, they could be slightly brutal on uh, the old fantasy football Badil and Skinner's version you know the, the bullying of Jason Lee wasn't pleasant I don't think we'll be getting that from Ellis James, um, because he's just far too nice. Uh, by the way, I do have a dressing gown and I'm available for stato duties <laughs> if they need Is one. Is that right? You raise your eyebrows there, Troy, uh, at, at that mention. When Is he it... said dressing gown, then it threw me totally. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love you as stato, Barry. Do you know what? It's not... I mean, you, you, don't have any, you don't have any stats. That's the only thing. Apart from that... Yeah, that's the problem. I have the dressing gown, but not not the stats. It'd be a slightly different type of stato on that show. I think it might be Richard, a job for Richard Jolly. It could be Richard Jolly, yeah. Oh, Jolly would be perfect on that show. Well, look, we shouldn't produce it because, you know, if it isn't a success, Barry, maybe me and you will do the next remake of it. I very much doubt that. Uh, anyway, that'll do for today's podcast. Uh, thank you, Barry. You're welcome. Thank you, Troy. Thanks as always, Max. Thank you, Johnny. Yeah, cheers for having me. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. 